joke. Of course they sold out to me. The Seahawks, really, 4-0, come on. Hey, Joe. Say, oh, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? What are you doing here? I, I'm meeting Laura. What are you doing here? I'm meeting Laura, too. Oh. Awkward. Oh, Just kidding. So I'm not. <laughs> hey, what are you drinking? Uh, beer. Joe, I have the regular. Milk, cold, in a martini glass, straight up, stirred, not shaken. He'll have an umbrella with that. So I hadn't seen you around much this summer. What you been up to? Uh, busy. By the way, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Yeah, I've been keeping real busy, actually. I got the man trying to hold me down. Man is the man you mean? The big man. Well, you know it's not going to end well for uh, you. He's really good. Yeah. Really good. So yeah. what's keeping you so busy? Oh, by the way, I like the whole small group strategy you Wasn't have now. Wasn't that I mean, this idea of not getting them in one place got where you can do short all all like hundreds place. of places all yeah. over the triangle. I'm going to put like a million point one bumper sticker on the back of my car. I've been running like crazy. But uh, I make it. I uh, still make it. You're wearing your age well. Listen. Oh, yeah. Since it's just us and Joe, always something I've been curious about. I mean, you've been wreaking havoc among mankind forever, messing up people, screwing up Christians' lives. Thank you. Just between me and you, tell me your top three tools to mess up Christians, to get in their head, to ruin their lives, to get them off track. What's your top three? Give me number three first. You want me to be honest? Totally, man. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. You're the father of lies. All right, all right, all right. Number three. Yeah. Miley Cyrus. Get out of here, twerking! Your idea! I should have known. You went from like 150 <laughs> to three overnight. <laughs> I taught her how to twerk. Man, you I'm taught her that. Get a little Mike, old for that. Come on. Nope, I still got it in me. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Wow, that surprises uh, me. Yeah, that's number three. Number two. Number two. Facebook. See, now that scares me because I thought for sure Facebook would be number one. Oh no. no. So it's number two. That's number two. Right, okay, tell, let me ask you a question. I got a lot of people at home. Um, don't give me any names, but give me give me some ideas of what I'm, what I'm up against. What's going on on Facebook that I probably don't want to know about, but should know about? You don't want names? No. Uh, no names. All right. Um, let's see. I got dads and husbands. You wouldn't believe how many of them are still looking for their high school sweetheart. Oh, that makes my heart so sad. You got to be kidding. I got women gossiping about paint Women choices gossiping? and other people. That is unheard of. It's, it's, it's like a playground for me. Oh, you're not Love messing it. with the kids too, are you? Oh, Facebook, really? It's it, Candy Crush? Come on. Oh, yeah. gosh, that's that's crazy. Well, now, I don't even know what to ask because I thought for sure Facebook would be number one, mm -hmm. so I, I don't even know if I want to know, but let me hear it. What's number one? All right, my number one, unwillingness to forgive. See, I've been teaching that for years, but nobody buys it. Just, nobody really believes in it. What happens? I sprinkle a little seed, a little baby seed, and it just grows into a beautiful, unforgiving tree. Oh, a big oh. hate tree. Oh, a hate tree. I love it. I mean, if I can get a guy borrowing money from his best friend, even just $20, you wouldn't believe the relationships I've wrecked on $20. Oh, it's awesome. Women not forgiving their husbands, even though, yeah, they come to church on the outside. Yeah, they look good, mm -hmm. don't they? Happy, happy couple. Pleasantville, nope. A couple years later, one night, boom. Seed, beautiful tree. I'm not gonna lie to you, I see it all the time. Yeah, uh, I mean, kids, don't even get me started on the kids. I not kids, kids you screwing don't up their kids. Kids, kids getting all angry and turning to, to drugs and, uh, and, and other things. Oh, just not being able to forgive mom and dad forever. Oh. Blaming their parents for how they became. I loved it. You know what, Satan? I never thought I would thank you for something. Beautiful thing. But I appreciate it because you know what? I've been preaching this and harping on this for years. Everybody thinks I'm just trying to scare yeah. them or threaten them or something. Well, but when you say it on camera, all of a sudden, oh, it's got some credibility. Right. You know what I'm saying? Nice. So I appreciate it. Hey, honey, 
How are you, sweetie? Mm, 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 mm. No, no, no. Sorry, no. Mike, you I can handle. Her, I didn't sign up for this. I gotta go. Wow. That looks good. What are you drinking? Uh, milk. Stirred, not shaken. I forgot my beer. And if you're here for the first time, you're thinking, what in the world have I walked into this weekend? We're in a series we're calling Love Different, and uh, we're learning in our series that God has called us as Christians uh, to treat other people the way he's treated us, and what we're learning in this series is the standard. For example, we've learned how God loves us. We've learned that he loves us totally. He loves us unconditionally. In fact, we just sang about it this morning. Listen to some of the words we sang. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me totally unconditionally. And then he said this, a love like this the world has never known. We just sang about that. And so Jesus basically said, this is the way my father has loved you, totally unconditionally. A world's never known a love like that, but now that you know about it, he says, I expect you to love one another. I expect you to love each other, people in your lives that way. You see, that explains why Jesus could say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies. Because that's how we were loved. Now this weekend, we're going to learn that not only did, Jesus, did God love us unconditionally, not only does he love us totally, he also forgives us that way. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 18, and uh, let me give you, kind of bring you up to speed. Jesus is talking to a group of people uh, one day, and he's explaining the process that two individuals should go through to restore a relationship that's been broken down. And Peter's in the crowd that day, and he's listening. And while he's listening, Jesus must have said something that reminded Peter of something that was going on in his own life, and, and based on Peter's question that he's getting ready to ask, I'm assuming that someone has hurt Peter. Someone has offended Peter, and not just once. We're talking over and over and over again. So Peter's sitting there. He's listening to what Jesus is teaching. At the same time, he's thinking about his own personal situation. He's trying to see how it fits together with what Jesus is saying. And so when Jesus finishes uh, teaching, Peter pulls him aside. He says, Jesus, I just want to ask you a question. He asks this, how many times... Am I required to forgive someone in my life who keeps hurting me over and over and over again, you know? In other words, Jesus, when is enough enough? When do I finally get to draw the line? And to impress Jesus, he said, how about seven times? And I say that because the Torah, which was the Jewish handbook in the first century, it was kind of, it was kind of the handbook that all good Jews live by. And in it, it taught that you forgive someone three times. So Peter's like, I will double it and add one for good measure. So he said, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? How many times am I required to forgive someone? Not three times. How about seven times? Is that going to be enough? But this is what's interesting. In asking that question, uh, Peter revealed a common misconception about the whole nature of forgiveness. And I think at some point in our lives, most of us have suffered from the same misconception because Peter's assumption uh, is that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. In other words, if I want to do something nice for the person who hurts me, I'll take the high road, I'll forgive them, I'll kind of let them off the hook. So Peter was convinced, just as many of us are convinced, that to forgive someone, really when you get right down to it, is to do them a favor. By the way, why do, why do we feel that way? I think it's because when someone hurts us, there's always this sense that someone took something from us. Maybe they took our ability to trust. Maybe they took our peace. 
Maybe they took all kinds of things from us. And so we feel like now they are indebted to us. They owe us. That explains why we'll say things like, you owe me an apology, right? Or you may feel that your boss owes you recognition at work. And until you get the recognition you think you deserve that he owes you, you're going to be mad. You're going to be angry. You're going to be ticked off. Maybe you're sitting here this weekend, guys, and you feel like your wife owes you respect. She's not respecting you the way you think you should be respected. Until she gives you that respect, there's going to be anger in the relationship. Uh, Maybe you feel like your husband needs to be more sensitive to you, ladies, that he owes it to you. And until he finally gets there and he starts more sensitive, being more sensitive, understanding your side of the situation, your perspective on things, you're going to be angry. You're going to be ticked off. There's going to be a wall between you. My point is, all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, all of us, we, we develop these debtor relationships. And until that person comes crawling back to us, begging for forgiveness, uh, whenever we're reminded of what happened, whenever someone mentions their name, whenever we see them in the mall, all of a sudden, we get angry, we get bitter, we have all these feelings of resentment. Now, here's the problem, because again, this is really a series where, you know, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, he doesn't hold you to this level. But for those of us who are Christians who've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for the cro- on the cross, he says, this is the standard I'm calling you to. I want you to treat other people the way that I have treated you. The problem is, as Christians, when we're angry like that, we've heard that enough. We've heard enough messages to know we really shouldn't feel the way we're feeling. Not only that, we have friends. We have Christian friends, and maybe we meet them at Starbucks, or, or they come over to the house, and we're sitting, and you always bring up what happened to you, right? And you're angry about it, and you're bitter about it. And you know what they tell you? You really ought to let that go. You really shouldn't feel that way, right? Or you go to your small group, and after your Bible study and your bonding time, any prayer requests, you throw up your hand, yeah, just keep me in your prayers. You know how I was hurt. You know how I was abandoned. You know how I was abused, and I just hate that person, and, and I can't seem to let it go. Pray for me, and somebody will say, well, you really shouldn't feel that way, right? So what do you do? You think, man, every time I bring it up, somebody says, you really shouldn't feel that way, so I'm going to stop talking about it. So you stop talking about it. You don't bring it up anymore. But you haven't really dealt with it. You you just take all the emotions. You take all the anger, all the resentment, all that bitterness, and you stuff it down inside. And before you know it, guess what happens? All of a sudden, you realize you're depressed. And it's because depression often is nothing more than anger that has been repressed. It's anger that's been bottled up. And you think you've dealt with it. You think maybe it's gone away because you don't talk about it anymore. But trust me, it's still there. It's kind of lurking beneath the surface and it's just kind of eating eating away at you now who can say for sure but maybe that's exactly where peter was in matthew chapter 18 and jesus understood his confusion about forgiveness just the way he understands our confusion about forgiveness so jesus he tells a rather strange story by the way jesus was really good at this People were always coming up to Jesus. They would ask him a simple question, but instead of giving a simple answer, Jesus would say, well, let me tell you a story, okay? And uh, that's kind of what's going on here in Matthew chapter 18. Peter says, and, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, instead of me answering that, let me just tell you a story. Let me read the story to you. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And, and it's unclear. I mean, you may have a version that says seven times 70. It, it's a little Greek, uh, tricky in the Greek how it's translated, but a lot more than seven. That's the point. Now, here's the story. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents in our day would literally be millions and millions of dollars. Okay, that's the man's debt. Since he was not able to pay the master, pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay his debt. So, so, the, so the owner, the manager, the king, he's like, I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to sell all of them off. I'll sell them as slaves. I'll sell the possessions. At least I'll recoup a little bit of my money. But basically, it's a hopeless situation. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Now look at this. Canceled the debt and let him go. He said, you know what? You don't owe me anything. You're free. Go. It's canceled. Now Peter's listening to this. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. A denarii is like a day's wage. So he owes him like a third of a year's salary. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, here's the very same line, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owned, all that he owed. Now, we don't really know what Peter is thinking at this point. But my guess is that halfway through Jesus' story, he had this thought. Uh-oh, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go, Right? And Peter, he may not have been the brightest bulb in the box, but I'm telling you, he got it. He understood the story that Jesus was telling. He understood the moral of the story is this. Peter's saying, I've got to forgive every time I'm hurt. I've got to forgive every time I'm offended. And if I don't forgive, God is coming after me. And I am confident that Peter's very next thought is the very same thought that some of you are having about now. Well, that's not fair. That doesn't seem right. In fact, that seems kind of messed up, right? And, and, and I'm sure maybe Peter's thinking, but whoa, wait a second, Jesus. Somehow there's a misunderstanding here. You see, I'm the victim, Jesus. I, I'm the victim, okay? I already have somebody after me. And you're telling me if I don't take the high road, if I don't forgive this person who keeps hurting me over and over and over again, you're coming after me too? They're coming after me? You're coming after me? That's the moral of the story, right? But notice how Jesus wraps up the parable in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. End of story. And maybe Jesus said, any questions? And I bet you Peter's thinking, hmm, next time I have a question, I'll just keep it to myself. You know what I'm saying? Right? And we smile and we laugh, but listen, I don't want to play this off. I realize that many of you sitting here this weekend, you have gone through incredible hurt. You have gone through incredible pain in your life. 
And if I were to interview you, you could stand up here beside me and you could tell your story. And some of, it, some of the stories would be so tragic. Some of the stories would be so traumatic. Many of us would cry with you and we would be so mad. We would be so angry at the person who hurt you. And, and we would feel that you're justified in feeling all the anger you feel, all the emotions you feel. But here's what Jesus says, not me. This is what Jesus says. Regardless of what's happened in your life, regardless of what someone has done to you, he says you have got to forgive or God is coming after you and he's going to make your life miserable. Now, you hear that, and especially if you're new to church, kicking the tires of Christianity, you hear that and you think, wait a second, how in the world could Jesus say that? I mean, I thought God was a loving God. I, th I thought he was a good God. In fact, Mike, I've heard you say that he's a compassionate God. Why would he want to add to my misery by being my enemy? I already have an enemy who's making my life miserable. I want to give you a couple of reasons why Jesus basically, and this is probably the right term, threatens us into forgiving one another, forgiving the people in our lives. First of all, understand when we refuse to forgive, we're inviting misery into our lives. We're basically saying, I'm not going to forgive. God, make me as miserable as you want. See what he says in verse 34? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You say, well, Mike, that's just a parable. That's just a story, and that's true. But what Jesus added in verse 35 wasn't the parable. It was kind of the wrap-up. It was the synopsis. This is what he said. This is the application. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus says that God personally will allow those who refuse to forgive to be tortured. And some of you are thinking right now, well, Mike, I know the original language was Greek, and sometimes it's not exactly what the word means. Obviously, it means something different. Well, the same term, this exact same Greek term is used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 6 to describe someone who was experiencing terrible suffering. It's used again, it's translated agony in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. So it's pretty clear that Jesus was teaching that for us to hang on to, to, to anger, for us to hold on to bitterness, for us to hold on to resentment, it's the equivalent of shifting into self-destruct mode in our lives. It's just a matter of time. And it's because when we refuse to forgive, or to use the story, the analogy, when we refuse to cancel the debt that someone has created in our lives, we chain ourselves to our hurt. We chain ourselves to our pain, our disappointment, our abuse. And here's the reality of it. We drag it everywhere we go through the rest of our lives. And as insensitive as it may seem, God knows that about us. And he loves us enough to say in no uncertain terms, because I love you, because I know you, because I, at the end of the day, have your best interest in mind, you have to forgive or you're going to have to deal with me so that your life doesn't end up a disaster. You got to let it go. You got to cancel the debt. By the way, do you know where you see this a lot? I see it a lot. Couples who have been married 20 to 25 years. It's the fastest, uh, it's the demographic that has the fastest growing divorce rate. Couples married 20 to 25 years. 
And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, a lot of, if you read a lot of books, they'll say, well, you know, they raised the kids, but as they were raising the kids, they kind of grew apart, and now they don't know each other anymore. Or they've just changed, people change, and they're thinking, well, you know what, we don't really love each other anymore, and we still got a little bit of looks, and, you know, we're not totally, you know, deadbeats, and, and maybe I'd be still appealing on the market, so let's just cut our losses right now, and maybe we can find happiness somewhere. I, that's not what I've discovered. I've discovered that when someone comes to see me and, and asking around, I find out they've been married that 20, 25, 28 years. I, I ask some questions. I poke around a little bit. And this is what I often discover. I often discover, if I ask enough questions, there's something that happened maybe years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, some kind of hurt, some kind of pain. And that offense, that hurt has never, ever been forgiven. And it's been repressed for years. See, maybe, maybe they did it for the kids. Let's just not talk about it. Let's don't blow up the family. Maybe, maybe they did it for, I don't know. But it's, it's been repressed for years, but now it finally surfaces. It begins to bubble to the surface. And it's not that they didn't have a right to be angry. And many times, in the, in the pure sense of the word, one of the spouses was a victim. But instead of dealing with it years earlier, instead of letting it go, instead of canceling the debt, it's just still there. It's still, it's still beneath the surface, and it, now it's destroying the marriage. You see, that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, we looked at it last week, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we talked about the fact we have to deal with our anger, our disappointment in a timely manner. I mean, have you ever been really, really angry at someone and, and you thought, you know what, I'm probably just tired. I'm probably just oversensitive. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm going to get some sleep and some rest. I'll wake up in the morning. Everything will be okay. I'll, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll feel better. But you go to bed and you don't sleep. You toss and you turn. And it's because you're rethinking. You're reliving that conversation. You relive that situation over and over and over again. And finally the alarm goes off. And Man, you don't wake up whistling a happy tune, do you? Why? Because anger intensifies. It just grows. It just festers when we turn it over in our minds. I'm going to be honest with you because I do a lot of counseling with you guys. A lot of Christians have made the habit of going to bed angry, hanging on to it, not dealing with it in a timely manner. Some of you, if you're honest with yourself, you've made a lifestyle of hanging on to grudges and resentment and, and even hate. And some of you, because I talk to you, you pride yourself in saying, I will never forget that one. I will never, ever let it go. And because you had that attitude, because you had that mindset, what maybe at one point when it happened was a solvable issue, maybe all you needed to do was have a solution-driven conversation, right? Like we talked about last weekend. So what at one time was a solvable issue now has exploded in your life. In fact, now it's causing even more issues. In fact, for some of you, that hurt that disappointment and the anger that flows out of it, it defines you. And you take it everywhere you go. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. Has she unloaded on you yet? Uh-uh, she will. She hasn't told you about her ex? She will. It's just, a, he hasn't told you why she, he will. And it, that just defines you. You see, it's interesting in America, the divorce rate's around 50%, hovers there. You would think if you've been married once, you, you're going to learn something, right? Or you're stupid. You're going to learn something, right? So you would think the divorce rate would certainly go down after your first marriage. No, it's in the 60s for your second marriage, in the 70s for your third. Why is that? Well, you probably brought some baggage into your marriage to start with that you'd never dealt with. And now you're kind of messing up that whole thing. 
and now you've gotten divorced. Oh, you've got more bags now. But you don't deal with the baggage. You don't deal with the issues from that marriage. You just take them right on into the second. By the time you get to the third, you need like a 25-foot U-Haul just to bring all your baggage into the relationship. It doesn't have a prayer. That's why Paul continues in verse 27, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't even go there, and we get that, you know. We can all tell stories because, I mean, I've been there where we get hurt and we get angry and we hang on to it. We allow it into our lives. The problem is this. When anger shows up in your life, you got to get this. Anger runs with a really rough crowd. Anger runs with thugs like bitterness, resentment, revenge. In fact, I promise you this. You allow anger into your life, revenge is coming in right on its heels. I'll never forget years ago when I started the church, and we were small back then, maybe 50 people. We were having a small group at my house, which was basically the church, because that's how small we were. And there was a lady there, and I didn't really know her whole story, a, 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 a couple up in years, and uh, probably in their late 60s, early 70s by then. And uh, so I was, I was teaching something one night, and uh, I was teaching... Uh, as we were discussing in our small group, once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? And I don't believe you can. It's by God's grace you're saved. It's by God's grace he keeps you. You don't do anything to get saved. You don't do anything to stay saved. That's, that's God's grace, right? So I was talking about that, and she said, I hope you're wrong. I said, excuse me? She said, I hope you're wrong. And I said, well, why would you say that? And she began to tell her story. And found out years early, maybe 20 years early, she had been married to a minister and he ran away with his secretary. Now, you don't have to worry about me. My secretary's my niece, okay? <laughs> we kind of make sure that those kind of things work out like that in my life, okay? Um, and I'm not from any of the states that allow those kind of weird things to go on, see? <laughs> or Fuquay. And uh, the, the, did my inside word get out? I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, 20 years later the anger this is what she said she says I hope you can lose your salvation because I want to make sure he burns in hell for what he did to me I thought issues <laughs> right she's been feeling this for 20 years I mean how much time and energy and effort do we spend in our lives trying to just get even, retaliate, get some revenge on the people who hurt us, right? So Jesus made it very clear. When we refuse to forgive, we're inviting misery into our lives. But there's another reason Jesus had the guts to say what he said that day. He knew, see, Jesus is just a few days from the cross. He knew that in just a few days something was going to happen that was going to change the course of history. He knew that in just a few days he was going to die on the cross and his death was going to remove our right to refuse to forgive, you know? So here's the second thing. When Jesus died on the cross for us, we lost our right not to forgive. We lost that right. By the way, did you know that when Jesus decided to go to the cross for us, he was already fully aware of all that we would do, all the sins we would commit in our lives, you know? He already knew, even though we weren't born yet, he already knew all the promises that we would make that we wouldn't follow through on, you know? He knew all the times we'd fall asleep while we were praying, right? 
He knew all the times we would get to a crossroad and we would, we would actually make the decision to intentionally disobey and go against his principles. He already knew some of you men would get on Facebook after you were married and had a beautiful family and try to find some old childhood or a teenage high school sweetheart. He knew that you would go on Twitter and you would slander. He knew that he's going to give us our money. All of, everything we have comes from God, and he gave it to us so that we could kind of be you know, a channel to fund it back to his church, back to his kingdom. He knew that we, he was going to give it to us, and, and you know, a lot of you would just spend it on yourselves. He knew about all the times we'd get in trouble and we'd say, please get me out of this, please get me out of this. And he'd get us out of it and we'd say we'd never do it again. Then we would just go on our merry little way and do it again. He knew all of that. But do you know what he decided? He decided, hmm, even knowing that, I am going to totally and unconditionally forgive them anyway. And it's in the context of that. Literally, it's in the shadow of the cross. It's just a few days away that we're commanded to forgive one another and treat one another the same way. So Jesus said to this crowd in Matthew chapter 18 and to us indirectly, to refuse to forgive regardless of how deep the hurt. Well, you are the wicked servant in the story. But you don't know what they've done. Well, Jesus says, yes, I do. I also know what you've done. And I also know what you're going to do but I still chose to forgive you anyways. By the way, this is where it kind of gets all messed up. We want it both ways. You know, we want God to show us mercy, right? God, please be merciful. But we want God to show the person who hurt us justice, right? We want them to get what they deserve. We just don't want to get what we deserve. And God says, well, you can't have it both ways, you know? Remember verse 33? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You, and not for their sake, but for your sake. God's timing is impeccable. Uh, yesterday morning, something happened in a relationship of mine um, that just kind of sent me into a you know, kilter thing. And uh, I was processing it. And I'm thinking, okay, come Monday, yeah, oh yeah, come to Jesus' meeting. And I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to tell them how they disappointed me and how they've hurt, hurt me. And, and, and yeah, I'm angry, and I might get over it one day, da 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 And I, I look down, and my Bible's open to Matthew 18, right? And it was almost as if God said, idiot. <laughs> you didn't learn a thing. Been working on this message for three months. You haven't learned a thing. And so I sit there and I thought about this idea of canceling the debt. And this is what I thought. It's already happened. Is there anything they could do to undo it? Not really. Is there anything they could really do to pay back what they did? Not really. You can't unring some bells, right? Oh, now I get it cancel the debt they can't pay it back anyway cancel the debt and I, I'm free now we'll have a solution driven conversation but you can't have that until you've canceled the debt remember what I said last week well, I say that to say this maybe you're here this weekend and I don't, I don't want to play this stuff down this is traumatic stuff this is stuff that sometimes defines us 
Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe as a child. Maybe as a spouse. I mean, seriously, when you really think about it, the person that abandoned you, is, is there really anything they could do to repay the debt? I mean, when you really think about it, to unring that bell, what would make it go away? Nothing. In fact, they may be dead now. You can't even have the solution-driven conversation. Are you just going to hang on to it? Maybe you're here this weekend, and again, I don't want to make light of this. Maybe you have been abused. Maybe you've been abused sexually. Maybe you've been abused physically or emotionally. Maybe it's been verbally. Maybe it's by someone close to you, someone you respected. Maybe someone you thought loved you. Maybe it's by a perfect stranger. I mean, is there really anything they could do to repay that debt? Uh-uh. Not really. Maybe you're a high school girl or a college co-ed, and you found a guy, yeah, you thought he was going to be the love of your life, and... You wanted to do it God's way, but maybe he kept up the pressure. He kept up the pressure. He kept up the pressure. If you love me, if you love me, in a moment of weakness, maybe he took your virginity away. And you're so angry. You feel so used and abused, which you should. But is there anything that guy could do to repay the debt? Unring that bell? Mm -mm. Not really. You see, forgiveness, it's not for the person that hurts you. Although it, it may do some good relationally, it's for you, it's for me. Forgiveness, it, it allows us to cut the chain to the past, you know. It allows us to move on past the anger that if we don't deal with it, eventually it will impact every area of our lives. And God knows this so well. I mean, he knows us so intimately. He says this to us. You must forgive. You have to forgive. First of all, for your sake. And you must forgive. You have to forgive. Because second, I forgave you. And I'm telling you, when you do, you'll be free. You'll be free. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. You want to be free? What are you hanging on to? You got to let it go. And I'm not saying that Jesus said it. You got to cancel the debt. In just a few minutes, Chris is going to lead us in one more song. It's Jesus Paid It All. And we're going to give you an opportunity in a tangible, symbolic way this weekend to release and cancel the debt, forgive that person. We're going to allow you to come up here. And we had some post its and some pens. And we're going to allow you to write on that pen who you're forgiving and why. You don't have to put their name, maybe an initial. You don't have to put anything. And we're going to let you put it on the cross. And we're going to encourage you to leave it here this weekend. This morning I came in early and I was looking at some of the stuff that was on the cross. I, I forgive my husband for, for hurting me and my children. I forgive my brother and my brother-in-law. I forgive our daughter. I forgive my mom. I forgive my rapist. I forgive my real dad I never knew. Do you know what I saw more than anything else? I forgive myself. I don't know who it is. It could be a former pastor or a former church a former, or a fellow church member or a parent or a brother or sister or a child or a friend or a spouse or an ex-spouse. It could be a boss or a co-worker. It could be a neighbor. It could be me. 
could be me. But I'm going to invite you this weekend. We don't do stuff like this very often, but I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to come up and leave it on the cross. And then here's the cool thing. This is the first week of the month, which means we have communion upstairs in the chapel. And after we finish, you're going to be able to walk up there and you're going to be able to, before you take the bread and the cup, you're going to say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me totally and unconditionally. And today, I've also forgiven totally and unconditionally. And you're going to be free. You're going to be free. And you're going to be able to move forward into the future without being shackled to the past. Father, I, uh, I thank you for this, this therapeutic opportunity to forgive. Not for the other person. So many times they've moved on to their life, with their life. They don't even care what they did to us. They won't acknowledge it. That's not part of forgiveness. Forgiveness is about us releasing and letting it go. One, so that we release the pain. But two, Father, it's just another way of saying we get it. We get it. This is how you've forgiven us. This is how you expect us to forgive one another. I pray for those right now who are getting ready to make this move and come up. And I pray that as they walk away, they'll sense the, just the burden, maybe the years they've carried it, fall off of their shoulders. And may they be free. And we thank you for what you did in paying the debt for all of our sin and canceling the debt so we could be in a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.